0: Here's a few exciting scenes from tonight's episode of The Tom Gully Show. You know, Dave is so private, and I guess during the course's run of the show, I don't know how free these people would have felt talking about all the the behind-the-scenes stuff. Did you get the feeling that perhaps some of these people finally felt a little bit unleashed to tell their stories? Actually,
1: no. I would say that... Almost no one wanted to talk to me. <laughs> I mean, okay. There, um, I had to convince them. And like I said, it took a long time to get Barbara's trust. And I kept saying, once I got her email, you know, I was I was sending her saying, this is just going to be about the art and craft of this show. You know, there's no gossip. There's no nastiness in this book at all because i'm not interested in that that has no interest to me so if if readers are looking for dirt this is not your book no this is a book about the craft of creating this perfect talk show for 28 episodes you know it's of course in 33 years the show wasn't perfect but this ending is perfect due to some violent content parental discretion is advised it's time, America. Mr. and Mrs. North of South American, all the ships at sea, let's go to press. So sit back, buckle in, place your tray table in its upright locked position, and get ready for big-time radio, friends. It's time for... With the blame when the lumber hits the skin, and it's time to pay the tone. Let the truth of wagon roll.
0: Good evening. It is Wednesday, May sixteenth, two thousand eighteen, episode two hundred and sixty three. I'm Tom Gully, and tonight on The Tom Gully Show, uh, there's only one David Letterman. And after his 33-year run as the best talk show host on Earth, that's right, I said it, he made that faithful announcement that he was riding off into the sunset. Well, it came as a shock to all of us, especially to me, to riding his coattails for 33 years. You know, the last six weeks of shows, Featured a star-studded lineup of guests and absolutely unforgettable moments. Well, now there's a book about the end of the show called The Last Days of Letterman by Scott Ryan, chronicling the last six weeks of The Late Show. It contains personal accounts from the show's staff and a complete listing of guests for those six weeks and things that happened on those shows. We'll cover it all, as only the first David Letterman Scholarship winner can, along with Scott Ryan, author of The Last Days of Letterman, tonight on The Tom Gully Show.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, the chief hope of our enemies is to divide the United States along racial and religious lines and thereby conquer us. Let's not spread prejudice. A divided America is a weak America. Through our behavior, we encourage the respect of our children and make them better neighbors to all races and religions. Remind them that being good neighbors has helped make our country great and kept her free. Thank you.
0: Everybody that listens to this show knows that if there's one thing we love, it's that we loves us some David Letterman. And uh, you won't get very far saying anything bad About Letterman. And luckily enough, we have a gentleman with us named Scott Ryan, who's written a book that, in like DNA level, cellular level detail, chronicles the final six weeks of the longest serving uh, late night host in U.S. television history. He's here with us today to talk about it. Scott, welcome to the program.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Okay, the first thing I have to ask is what made you get the idea to chronicle this event? Because like with Carson, I guess there's stories about the end of the Carson show sort of passed down through legend and lore. Maybe some other TV shows you hear a little bit about it. But this was such a huge event that I was happy somebody put everything in one place. What gave you the idea to do this
1: book? Well, it all started when I got fired. Okay. (laughs) I was uh, working at a major cable company, and they downsized me because this is America. And what that meant is that I had to turn in my DVR, I had to give it back because, you know, I was fired. Well, on my DVR, sitting there, frozen in time for two years, was the last six weeks of David Letterman because I could not bring myself to delete them. So I looked at the calendar and I coincidentally had 30 days left. So I thought, hey, I'm gonna watch one episode of Dave every day As I get fired, you know, he's retiring, I'm getting fired, this is perfect. So I happened to rewatch them in early, I think it was probably 2017, and I was blown away by the episodes. Now, of course, I was back in 2015, but as time had moved, I really could see how much television had changed, uh, talk shows, just America, really between 2015 and 2017 and i was like i'm writing a book about this and i mean i started taking notes really in the middle of the first episode and i was just i mean those episodes were amazing i assume you uh watched them when they were on and and were moved by them as well
0: well yeah i i of course once he made the announcement which was I mean, little background, I'm the first recipient of the David Letterman Scholarship. And so I have a, a like an emotional connection to Dave Letterman because he paid for my college. But having grown up in Indianapolis, we all had a connection to Dave. And I kind of uh, thought, you know, I had a lot of notoriety attached to me because when the scholarship came out, was kind of at the peak of his ascension. It was like 1985, 1986. And so for the rest of my life, I've been associated with that. Every time I put across a resume, uh, every time I'm at a party with friends, you know, it it gets brought up. And I thought, I never stopped to think there was going to be an end of it. I thought, you know, oh, I can come home anytime late at night, uh, or I can be at home and be going to bed, and Dave's going to be there. And so when the announcement got made, it was like, oh, my God, these are precious jewels now. I've got to ride this coattail as long as I can. And so, yes, I did watch all of them. And uh, the pomp and circumstance, of course, of all the, the biggies from Hollywood and the music world and everybody else calling in, coming in and paying their tribute to Dave. So, yes, I also watched them very copiously.
1: Well, it's so great to have another Dave fan out there. I like your intro saying that, you know, no one better say uh, anything bad about Dave when my children were young and they wanted to be mean to me. They would say, you know, David Letterman's going to retire someday. And I'd be like, no, he isn't. (laughs) He's going to be around forever. And I took it hard the first time. In fact, I didn't watch anything any late night at all i just gave it up after may 2015 and it wasn't until uh, february about 2017 and i knew i had to watch them or lose them that i went back and and that's when i was like i just didn't want history to forget these episodes because i think they are important even outside of being a dave fan
0: yeah i think so and i think because of the fact that Dave was so much like Johnny Carson and his privacy and such, it's nice to see the behind the scenes. It's nice to hear from people that were on the program and the, the kind of the farewell tour, if you will, is, uh, is something we're all going to want to remember because, I, I was starting to hear from a lot of younger people, Dave's old. Dave's not with it anymore. He's not hip. And it's like, you don't understand how much this man changed television. If you look at TV and, and certainly talk shows before David Letterman's morning show or his first show at NBC... It was totally different than it is now. He completely changed the playing field to the point where even Johnny Carson started adopting a lot of the things he was doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's very famous of uh, Carson leaving his studio the first time to go over to Don Rickles. You know, and they had to drag the camera over to the Sharky set. And that that's totally because of of Dave getting out of the studio and and causing trouble like that. I mean, it is an interesting concept that Dave influenced Johnny because, of course, Johnny influenced Dave so much.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, they're the two kings. And, you know, I didn't know if we would get into this or not, but to a certain era, I mean, even I can look at Johnny Carson and say, oh, my God, the guy was just incredible. Uh, I'm kind of a tweener when I was a kid, Johnny Carson, I would watch all the time. And then when I was in college, Dave started and Johnny was kind of the last remnant of old Hollywood and that whole sort of talk show thing, you know, and he was, he was the master at it. But when Dave took over, everything got deconstructed with the, you know, stupid human tricks, stupid pet tricks, the Velcro suit the alka-seltzer suit but people forget you know that he worked at taco bell and (laughs) the Bryant gumbel thing with the bullhorn i'm not wearing any pants where the the today show was doing a live broadcast (laughs) and letterman starts harassing them and just all the great stuff that he used to do which you can still see a lot of this stuff on youtube so your book was great because you covered all the last six weeks of shows, each show specifically, but then you also covered all the different aspects of the show, like the monologues, like the top tens, and you give some history of that too. So it's a book about the last six weeks, but it is also a book that tells you about the show in general.
1: Well, I would say that the, the majority of the feedback I got back when I was Working on the book as I'd say "Oh, I'm doing a book about letterman and then they would always say oh So you're gonna write about Joaquin Phoenix, and I say, oh, no, I'm just doing the last six weeks Oh, but you're gonna talk about Drew Barrymore taking her top off, right? No, I'm I'm just doing the last six weeks (laughs) And people like couldn't get that idea But the thing is Dave was on TV for 33 years if you try to cover 33 years in a book I don't know, I I just didn't feel you were going to get the essence of Dave. And in this, because we drill down, and maybe sometimes too deep into these episodes, um, I think you really get the essence of what it was like to watch The Late Show and all the things that changed up. And my first idea was, it was just going to be my opinion on these episodes. I never dreamed in a million years I would get the access that I got, you know, I just thought, oh, I'm going to write about this. So what I started doing was tweeting Barbara Gaines and asking her for an interview because I really wanted to talk to her about her and montage. The very last thing you see on the last episode is this seven minute montage of Dave's career that Barbara Gaines put together. Yeah. Set to the Foo Fighters.
0: Well, that is just, just like a acid flashback of The Letterman Show.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's got everything. So I kept tweeting her. It took me, I don't know, a really long time. And finally, she agreed to do an interview. And from that interview, she gave me someone else. I think it was Sheila Rogers, who was the booking agent. And then Sheila suggested this person and that person. The next thing you know, I had like 25 late show staffers. And so really in the book, I'm not there very much at all. It's really them telling you. About the last 28 episodes, which, you know, is probably more exciting than me telling you about the last 28 episodes.
0: Well, that's the question I had for you. One of the big ones was how did you get ask access to those people? And you just answer it. Did you get the feeling that, you know, Dave is so private? And I guess during the course's run of the show, I don't know how free these people would have felt talking about all the behind-the-scenes stuff. Did you get the feeling that perhaps some of these people finally felt a
1: little bit unleashed to tell their stories? Actually, no. I would say that almost no one wanted to talk to me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> okay. there, um I had to convince them. And like I said, it took a long time to get Barbara's trust and I kept saying, once I got her email, you know, I was I was sending her saying, this is just going to be about the art and craft of this show. You know, there's no gossip, there's no nastiness in this book at all, because I'm not interested in that. That has no interest to me. So if, if readers are looking for dirt, this is not your book. No. This is a book about the craft of creating this perfect talk show for 28 episodes you know it's of course in 33 years the show wasn't perfect but this ending is perfect I mean the work that everyone down to the stage manager or you know the writers and the directors and the assistant directors and the film coordinator all these people they knew that if they messed up in those 28 episodes, that was going to be Dave's legacy. And it really hung on them and weighed them down. So I think once we would start interviewing, they would realize that my questions were only about their task, their job. Then they would share a little bit more. And by the end of the interview, that's when they were saying, well, you got to talk to my buddy, Jay. Like, Jay, he, he's, you know, and then they'd write that person an email and say, no, he's really interested in the craft.
0: Right. Well, it's not a gossip book in any stretch. I mean, that's the cool thing about it is that it's from the mouth of the people that actually did it. It's not from a source or so-and-so told me. And it is, though, a behind-the-scenes look. I mean, it is a, a way to peer into the Letterman show that you probably haven't gotten before, which I thought was another you know, sort of unique aspect of the book. I also also thought it was cool because of the fact that the last 28 shows had so many of those iconic guests, so many of them, that you did get a flavor of the past, even though, obviously, you're centering on that last 28 sort of mint edition Stradivariuses. <laughs> there's there's the share episode, which brings to mind the famous her calling him an asshole and, and sort of their progression from that. And, and the rest of the guests, Steve Martin, Martin Short, uh, Michael J. Fox, You could, the list is endless. But
1: you do get kind of a feel
0: for the history of the show as well.
1: Well, and because the people who went on the show and did well are the people who were not there to promote. And that was the first thing I noticed when I watched them two years later is that you know, if a guest came on to promote their latest movie, it just wasn't a good interview. And that's what a talk show is. Like, you turn on The Tonight Show or The Late Show, whatever. Right now, tonight, I can guarantee you every guest they have on tonight is promoting their latest thing. And it's probably a piece of crap. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. You know what I mean, it's probably a horrible movie or not their best album, but they're going to sell it like it is because that's what talk shows have become. And if you watch Carson on Late Night, because he's on at 11 o'clock everywhere now yes, uh, on, yes. on off channels, you'll notice that even when they were on to promote a movie, they don't mention it. They don't talk about it. They were there to talk to Johnny. And that's what happened in those last six weeks. People wanted to come on just to talk to Dave.
0: Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, and, and as you say, Carson's on, I think it's Antenna TV.
1: Yeah, it's one of those uh, off-channel Yeah, it's things.
0: one of those Brand Z Me <laughs> TV or whatever, which I love. I'm tuned into them all the time. As a matter of fact, I had one on before I called you. Uh, but Johnny might mention it in his intro. You know, he might say, and she's in a new film. It'll be coming out April the 17th. It's called Blah, Blah, Blah. Here she is. And then they just come out and talk. Right. Uh, You know, one of the guests that that, uh, was during the last six weeks that is somebody that I now, I mean, I'm totally in love with this woman. And she's very much associated with Letterman in terms of um, late night was Amy Sedaris.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And I mean... You know, she's like almost uh his Don Rickles or something. I mean, it's it's a, somebody that when she would come onto the show, uh, you know, it, you knew it was going to be awesome. And her last appearance was spectacular.
1: Well, yeah. And one of the things, you know, I've seen all of these 28 episodes probably five times each. So I've... It's, it's like the Zapruder film to me. <laughs> I've studied it so. And when you watch Amy walk to the desk, it hurts her. She's carrying it in her shoulders, in her, you know, the way she's clenching her fists. She's trying not to cry. She's trying to keep it together because it meant so much to her. Now she goes out and kills because if, if someone went there and sat and cried at the desk, Dave would be mortified. <laughs> you yeah. know, he he doesn't want that. He wants Amy... To make him laugh and she does and you know as a home viewer that means something to you because that's how you're feeling as well and guests like amy sedaris and sarah jessica parker and then of course norm mcdonald um they really let the viewer express what they were feeling
0: oh definitely definitely and uh you know, you got those guests like Julia Roberts and people, there's so many of them over the years that were just sort of like standard, this is going to be a great interview no matter what, when they would, when they would show up, who would you say were your favorite guests out of those final 28 episodes?
1: Well, my all time favorite late show guest is Amy Sederos. Um, awesome. And you know, what was super cool for me is when I was interviewing Brian Teta, he was the segment producer he produced all the segments with um, Mike Buskowitz in the last 28 episodes, and now he's the executive producer of The View. And if you know, he used to do cameos on the show, so if you are a fan and you saw Brian Teta, you'd certainly know who he was. Well, he told me that if someone told him that Amy Sedaris was their favorite guest, then he knew they got the show, that you were one of us. And that that might be my favorite part of doing the whole book. Cause, and I'm like, yay, I'm one of them. Yes. Uh,
0: <laughs> I'm glad I brought that up unprompted as well. Right, you know. I know,
1: because I was going to say, good for you. Um, so Amy Sedaris was always someone that I loved when they were on the show. Um, if you're just talking about the last six weeks, the Michael Keaton interview is one that I think is amazing, Um, Michael tells a great story, but more than that, he gets Dave to talk, and Dave ends up sharing a tidbit that was really, you know, as a viewer, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, and then when I interviewed people, Even the people, the staff there said they didn't know this, but Dave talks about how when he was on the variety show, the Mary Tyler Moore show, he had to sing and dance and he hated it. And they show a clip and it's funny. Yeah. But but then he admits that that's the reason he would never host Saturday Night Live or appear on it at all because he hated the Mary Tyler Moore variety show so much. (laughs) He was never. He just said, "I'm never being in a skit. I'm not doing that." And those were the tidbits, you know you talked about Dave being private. In the last six weeks, he was less private. He really was sharing things and just not in a Kathy Lee Gifford way, right? You know you had to kind of look for them, but they're all there. And those are the things that I'm bringing out in the book. You know, when Dave shares something or when someone shares their feelings about Dave's, those are the moments from the episodes that I, I focus on.
0: So Amy Sedaris, you mentioned Norm McDonald, and Norm's got a talk show now. And Dave appeared on this talk show. And he like talks during the whole thing about his past and his background and every it's like an hour long interview. And it just it absolutely floored me. Norm, of course, is is also one of my favorites, and he really got emotional.
1: Yeah, uh, everyone I interviewed picked Norm as their favorite performance in the last six weeks, uh, hands down. I mean, that's probably the biggest section is on the Norm because everyone wanted to talk about it, and... Much to my editor's dismay, because <laughs> he, you know, he he's keeps on me not to overpraise, but I say it's the greatest stand-up appearance on any talk show ever, and I stand behind it, and and so does the staff. I mean, can you imagine? Like he cries yeah. in a stand-up performance. That's crazy, and it's sincere, and it's earned, and it's also funny. Like. His jokes are great. I I mean, honestly, I think it's the best stand-up performance. And what I got from the staff is that Norm worked on it for months. I mean, he contacted the show and said, I want to do stand-up. It wasn't like they asked him to come and not sit with Dave or something. He said, I want to come back and I want to do stand-up. And um, I think it was Mike Buskowitz who was the other segment producer. He told me when he went in the green room to meet Norm, Norm had napkins and envelopes and notebook papers and just this whole plethora of things written everywhere where even right then he was still working on it and writing it so it would be perfect.
0: Well, and let's not also forget it's Norm MacDonald who is right. <laughs> typically kind of anti showbiz to a certain extent you know i mean he's his persona is that of a guy that wouldn't be affected by the moment or anything else and and he's you know so often kind of playing a character to a certain extent uh, or or he's maybe he's just that person but he's a person that wouldn't get that way and to see him sort of choke up like that it was like whoa uh th- that's uh, that's something
1: yeah and and it it truly moved the staff as well i mean um when i interviewed the director jerry foley he said that norm wouldn't even tell anyone what he was going to do they didn't even know he was going to tell because what he basically does is he tells the first joke he ever heard Letterman tell. That's how he closes his set. And, you know, he didn't want to tell anyone, and they really had... They, they didn't know what he was going to do, and it was kind of a, a tense day for everyone, because he was so nervous, and and Jerry Foley said he basically spent that whole day like trying to get out of Norm, just because they wanted to capture it to know what was going to happen. So... I think emotions were definitely running high at that point because I, I, there's only three episodes left.
0: Right. Did you get any interesting feedback from people regarding their reaction when the announcement was made? Because to me, that was a, you know, kind of like Pearl Harbor gets bombed moment. I mean, it was like, oh my God, Letterman's going to stop. Uh, did, did anybody talk about, that particular aspect of it, I yes, ask, I actually I ask, uh, knowing in advance that you did.
1: <laughs> well, see, that's that's total talk show. You know? yeah. we're supposed to from the pre-interview. Um yes, my the first main chapter in the book is all about the announcement. And when I would interview people, that's where I would always start because I would try to get them back in that mood. So my first question to everyone I interviewed was, "How did you find out?" that David Letterman was going to retire. And then in the book, I can put it together piece by piece so you hear about that whole day from everyone's different point of view, from the top of the company who were invited into Dave's dressing room to some of the people who were down on the stage and how they found out, um, even all the way to the CBS executive who I interviewed. and. To me, the thing that was most interesting, um, it was Kathy Maverakis. she was the supervising producer, she said that while Dave was telling them, the Feral the song, Happy, was playing on the radio, and so basically, she's losing her job, she's, all this is ending, and she's like, now, every time I hear that song, I think that, you know, Dave's retiring, And so you get those little cool details that certainly help.
0: Now, have all these people sort of landed on their feet? Because I know that was a big aspect of it. I mean, people don't think about that. They think, oh, well, you were working on the Dave Letterman show, so now you're on the Stephen Colbert show. And that's not the way it works.
1: No, I mean, some of the crew stayed with Stephen Colbert, um, but actually... I think all of them, I shouldn't say all because I'm sure not 100%, but they they pretty much all landed on their feet and have good jobs. Uh, They're at late night with Seth Meyers or James Corden, Um, The View, like I said. And so that was kind of interesting because getting these interviews a lot of times were hard. I had to wait till they're dark weeks to get them because right. they're they're doing another show and I would, they were all super nice to me as far as giving me photos from the last week and from their phones and things that they had kept, but, so they would answer my emails, but I would feel bad, I remember I emailed this one guy who now works at Late Night with Seth Meyers and asked for a picture that I really needed and he was like oh well, I have to do something for Seth can I get it to, for you later and I'm like oh just so you know you can always do my emails later please take care <laughs> of Seth Myers first <laughs> yeah. nothing i ask for is important
0: it was one of the things that you mentioned was um that i think a lot of people would would be interested in terms of a behind the scenes kind of aspect of your book is the fact that I don't know if it was true for the run of the show. And I think you do make mention of the fact that the last two weeks, this was especially true, but you think these shows are all buttoned up at a certain point, but Letterman was known to say, you know, right before things are getting finalized, Hey, you know what? This one thing we were going to do. I don't want to do that now because I saw some video of, of one of our interns or somebody, uh, Jumping over a conference room table. So now that's going to be a bit.
1: Yeah, and that was a fun part to talk to everyone about. And, you know, they said they would have these classic clips that they were going to play again, which pretty much became the routine. But right before, when Dave was getting ready to go on, someone showed him a video of Todd Sita, the cue card boy, jumping over a conference table. Upstairs and he was like, oh, that's our comedy piece. So they have to throw that together It was the same with P-Boy They did P-Boy one more time where the guy runs through the audience throwing peas at everyone <laughs> um, In the Q&A someone asked whatever happened to P-Boy, so Dave does a QA, and a then he walks backstage and he tells them hey, I want to do P-Boy in Act 1 or Act 2 so they have 10 minutes to find the costume, get someone to do it. Paul has to get the music, and they scrap what they have. And that went pretty much all the way up to the end. Where And isn't that the best part of watching Dave, when he throws the blue card away, and they just go off and do something?
0: Oh, definitely, definitely. And and because I watched Dave, number one, when he was a weatherman in Indianapolis, and then he hosted this oh, my God, God awful late-night movie show, which was just basically him with a paper bag full of popcorn that had, like, grease stains on the bottom of it and a metal folding chair doing movies. It was called Freeze-Dried Movies or something like that. It was late, 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 late at night. And, you know, he's always been a guy that sort of celebrates, you know, low-end... Crazy stuff. I mean, dropping things off buildings, running over stuff with uh, steamrollers. Uh, those are the kinds of things that nobody would have done on national TV back then. <laughs> and he's the guy that changed all that. I mean, when you see on, say, Jimmy Fallon, a Brazilian soccer star, no, Jimmy Kimmel, a Brazilian soccer star kicking a soccer ball across the street to the top of another building from the top of one building, that's all Letterman. And one of the coolest things that I thought happened for the last night, and uh, the version of the book I have is truncated from the end, so I don't know if you covered it, but I have to assume you did, was Conan O'Brien basically saying, hey, don't watch my show tonight. Watch Dave Letterman.
1: Well, um, I actually did not cover that. And I think that was actually Jimmy Kimmel, not Conan. I think it was Jimmy no, Kimmel. Was, oh, no. Jimmy took the night off. That's right. Yeah, Jimmy no, took Conan the night off.
0: Actually, had a show and said, he had a guest. Right. It was, well, maybe it was Andy, but they said, hey, look, and, and he played, he told a really great story about the fact that his show wasn't doing well. Everybody thought they were going to be canceled. and Dave came on his show, which gave his show like validity. and you know, everybody sort of rallied the troops and then knew they could do it. It was a really emotional story. and he says, "Tonight, um, we're not going to do much. Don't watch this show." Turn it on over and watch. And yeah, watch you're Dave. right.
1: And I think it was a, a comic that he had on. I can't think of who it was, but I did see that. So I do not mention that in the book. And this is a little uh, thing that I wondered if anyone would notice. And I know you didn't have the whole book. But I made a decision very early on, when really probably before I wrote a word, that I wasn't going to mention any other talk show host except dave so i mentioned johnny carson and steve allen because they influenced dave but i don't you will not see conan or fallon or colbert or any mention of anyone else in this book i wanted this book just to be about dave it's not about late night wars at all, right. or not that conan had a war but um it was just a decision that I made early on. So none of the other hosts are in this book. I well, just wanted it to be about Dave.
0: probably a good strategic decision. I I did enjoy the uh, tip of the cap that Kimmel and uh, Conan gave him. I, I was very pleased by that because, you know, Dave's gone. We're sort of looking around going, oh, now who am I going to watch? And uh, so it was it was very nice of them to do that. I'm kind of known whenever I do speaking engagements and especially when I, when I do them at ball state, uh, at the end of my introduction is, you know, hi, I'm Tom Gully and blah, 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 blah. And of course, Jay Leno is a big fat jerk. <laughs> uh, I can't, I just can't resist, uh, any, any time at all that, I, that I do that. Um,
1: Well, and that was one of my things, you know, I I just wasn't going to use... Leno in the book at all. I feel
0: Oh I'm I'm on board with stronger.
1: that. <laughs> yeah, I feel even stronger about him than you do. And I felt the best way to do that was to never mention him.
0: That's perfect. Let and us no, never speak his he's, name. He's, may yeah, may it be stricken
1: from all public records
0: <laughs> and obelisks. Yeah, like like in the Ten Commandments. That's that's absolutely perfect. How many of the guests in the last twenty eight episodes were people that maybe weren't in the spotlight anymore that Dave insisted on having in because of like a personal relationship that he had with them. I know that, uh, uh, Jimmy, um, dynamite guy, the, the comedian that he wrote for early Mm -hmm. was always like a favorite of his on the show. George Miller, when he was alive, there were people that he would have on because he liked them, not because, You know, a studio or somebody else said he should have them on.
1: Well, the fascinating thing is that it was mostly music guests that Dave requested in the end. Almost every song, maybe at least like 60% of them in those last six weeks, Dave requested the song specifically and then sometimes the artist as well. And one of the things that I sort of bring out in the book is, as we go along is that, you know, when you think of living in this time where every thought everyone has is posted on Facebook and, you know, we can't stop telling people things. I think Dave didn't want to sit from the desk and tell viewers how he felt, so he picked songs. And... I was surprised because one of my favorite interviews in this book is by Cheryl Zelikson. She was the music booker and she would say like Dave would come to her and say, I want to hear American Pie. She was like, American Pie? (laughs) What? That song's kind of long. He's like, no, yeah. And the whole song. Then it was her job to find someone to sing it and, and get Dave what he wanted. And through these songs, um, The Circle, May the Circle Be Unbroken, uh, Keep on the Sunny Side of Life, America, all of these songs, when you think about it, they are Dave telling you his philosophy in life. Stand By Me was another one. Um, So I don't know. I think that is a really interesting aspect of how important music is to Dave. I think he cared more about the music, honestly, than he cared about the guests coming in
0: the top guests. Wow. The I think that will the circle being broken was, was that Steve Martin with a bunch yes. of people? Yeah. Yeah. Steve hey. Martin, that, that was another great interview. Steve Martin's interview with him. The last one. I mean, they're all good, but the last one was just like, so funny.
1: Yeah, it really was. And, and Steve Martin says something that it cracked me up every time I proofread the book or whatever he says when i heard you retiring i thought you've got to be kidding then i remembered wait a minute you're not funny yeah yeah (laughs) that's such a steve martin joke yeah and then he was talking about you know there's
0: there's real friends and there's show big friends which of course we're not Right. Uh, I mean, he was so, uh, so good at being, you know, cruelly funny in a in a way where you know he's really, really, really joking. Um, you know what? What's sort of the response you've gotten to the book thus far?
1: Well, I, I've I've been really, really lucky. So one of the, like I said, Barbara Gaines was my first interview. And I had to really, like, convince her because they'd all sort of been trained not to talk. So one of the deals I made with her from the get-go is, you'll have Final Cut. I will give you the book. And if you don't like it, I won't do it. I'll take anything out. And so Barbara Gaines, who was Dave's executive producer and worked with him for the whole run. I mean, morning show to the end. Wow. She didn't ask me to cut one thing, nothing. She didn't ask for a change. She loved it. She actually would give me other facts. I mean, she would say, no, that guy, he's the stage manager. He would do this, or this happened here, or whatever. So it's not like she just didn't read it. She had feedback. And then also um, Rick Sheckman, who was there the whole time as well, all... Um, uh, from late night on, he, he worked for Dave for 33 years in the control room. He fact-checked it for me, too, and he was just, he loved it. I mean, he he's like, Dave's going to love this, and, you know, you, you really captured it. So the feedback I've been getting, and they're the only ones who have read it because it's not out yet. It's coming out, and we'll certainly direct your listeners to go to lastdaysofletterman.com and pre-order it. Because it is up for pre-order. But to get them loving it and saying you did capture what it was like um, has been just so rewarding. It's amazing.
0: Oh, this is awesome. There's a car alarm going off in your background. That's very Letterman. Um,
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's nice that you could hear it. That's our neighbor. And I don't know why they have that car alarm because it goes off nonstop and no one really seems to care and it's not that nice of a car i, I was really about want to say, say like why don't I have you the just... same
0: thing and the car's like i would let them steal it for the insurance money dude
1: right yeah you're um, gonna be just as good and i actually don't think the alarm ever goes off i just think they don't know how to work their their <laughs> uh, key thing honestly
0: well, now they just have them so that the lights flash on and off, which I appreciate. One thing I hate is when I'm walking somewhere and all of a sudden I hear that horn honk of the car and it's somebody making sure their car's locked up. And I'm just like, really? Can you do oh, something about that?
1: Yeah. You know, um, We've become quite lazy. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, one of the things, and I don't know that everybody will catch it, or maybe I'm just patting myself on the back your chapter on the monologue thank you so much for getting the warren zevon in there
1: well it's more than that so you better uh you better look as well actually every chapter oh, yeah. title is a warren zevon song
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: uh and that was one of my ideas very, very early on. And that was something that I had pitched to Barbara. I was trying to show them, like, no, 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 I'm really a fan. And um, luckily it worked out um, that, that I could find a Warren Zevon title that would, like the announcement when Dave retires, that chapter's called I'll Sleep When I'm Dead. And uh, the very last chapter is people talking you know just basically saying what it was like to work for dave for 30 years that one's called keep me in your heart for a while so it was i'm a huge Zivon fan i assume you you know if you're you've seen him on dave and
0: oh yeah yeah enjoy every sandwich i mean yeah definitely i mean there's a there's on i think it's called concert vault or something there's a a Warren Zevon concert uh, This particular Website has all sorts of Concerts remember when we used to go to concerts In the early <laughs> 80s And they would show the concert up on the Big screen and you thought You know while you were at the concert they'd have That diamond vision screen above it And you thought oh they're just showing that to us Well some people recorded them And there's one from like 82 with Warren Zevon That I can't Stop watching I watch it all the time he does um, poor poor pitiful me straight into Cadillac by Bruce Springsteen it's a from it's like a theater in Passaic New Jersey or something so yeah I'm I'm a big Zvon fan I'm probably not as up on some of the later uh, titles Uh, the, the the album with model citizen on it and that one I really liked but uh, yeah, I'm I'm a big Warren Zevon fan, and and really his last performance on Letterman and his uh, last interview is just uh, really. There's a there's a big movement on right now to get Warren Zevon in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I'm like the fact that he's not already in there is just right it's, like it's criminal.
1: ridiculous. I mean, when when the lackluster groups who are going in now and Warren isn't in is horrible. I one of the things that I'll never get over, as long as I live, is that I actually convinced Bill Shaft to write the foreword to the book, and he was Dave's monologue writer for 22 years or something ridiculous, and always stood off to the side of the desk for people who maybe don't put the name with the face. Well, so I had told him, um, "Hey, I'm doing the Warren Zevon titles." do you want to pick a Warren Zevon title for your forward? And I was, I gave him a um, suggestion and now the song is going to go out of my head. It's like tear. It's like tears from a clown, except it's not that, do you know what song it is now? No. I, should have pre- I should have prepared this. It has clown in it, whatever the title is. And <laughs> Chef said, "I am never going to compare David Letterman to a clown, so I'll pass." <laughs> yeah. And then I felt bad because uh, I wasn't saying Dave was the clown. I thought Bill Chef was the clown, but that's even <laughs> worse. I couldn't come back and say, "No, no, no, you're the clown." <laughs> so uh, he had considered calling his poor, poor, pitiful me, but in the end, we decided it's it's just listed as forward. Yeah. So
0: yeah, that's uh, that's a great story. <laughs> My interactions with Letterman were almost a hundred percent through his lawyer. I'm sure you, I'm sure you didn't have to deal with Ron Elberg on this. Uh, Although it might've been interesting because he's the one that formed worldwide pants, legally created the entity. And there was another one called, uh, what was it? He had, he had like two or three different companies with these bizarre names, but, The people I dealt with on the show, the number one person was because, see, being the first scholarship winner, I actually had access to get tape and hold seats to his program. So I would sort of contact. Yeah, well, believe me, I did not wear that out. I knew how that would have been received. I mean, I think I took advantage of it two or three times. And those but, were late
1: night or late show? I'm sorry I'm interrupting, but I'm i No jealous. no the,
0: these were <laughs> I these were all uh late night. Okay I, I never went to the, the Ed Sullivan. By that point I thought, man, you're gonna look like a real jerk uh having won the scholarship in eighty six. Trading on that to go to but I but I did uh, the, shortly after I won the scholarship and then I think once two or three years later and once two three years later after that uh from time to time I would uh, well we'll get into that in a second but Lori well, Diamond it,
1: can I ask you who the guests were I'm sorry I'm taking over uh, but I, I can remember so very
0: well the the guests the first time I went was Linda Ellerby
1: Okay, I remember her. And
0: uh, yeah, she was... I forget who the musical act was. Frankly, it was all a blur because people don't realize that while the commercial breaks are playing... And by the way, this was back when Dave was still smoking. So they break for commercial. He had a brew. I mean, it was like a bud was sitting on the edge of the desk and he had a, a cigar working during the break. But people don't realize that during the break that band is kicking ass oh, the yeah. entire time. Also, before the show starts, when they're warming up, oh my god. That that band is just like just spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. There's uh, you know, there's no, there's nothing like it. Um, I
1: don't think I would have... I, I'm I'm still amazed that you have this ability. I think I'd have been like, um, can I come see a Darling Love Christmas show, please? Can I just have that one? Because I always wanted to see... I went to the Ed Sullivan, I think, four or five times that I've been able to see a show. And I, I've, I saw some big ones. I actually saw his comeback heart attack show with um robin williams and jerry seinfeld and regis uh when he came back after the heart attack so that was like a huge show
0: oh and then i
1: yeah i mean i was just i just happened to be in new york city i mean we didn't even know it was a surprise that he was coming back it wasn't an announced thing yeah and it was actually a Friday, and as you know, they never taped on Friday, No, but they wanted him to tape the Monday show on Friday to give him two days of rest. So I just went and stood in line, I you know, and just got in. So that was amazing. And then I also saw the show with Led Zeppelin after Dave won the Kennedy Center honor. And okay. so he talked all about going to the White House and meeting Obama and the whole experience which was another, I think that was the last time that I was there. I couldn't get in towards the end, but I would always try whenever I went to New York City to to get into the show.
0: Well, here's the thing. I kind of knew that because of the the way Dave is, that I didn't want to ingratiate myself in that way at all, really. I mean, not not too much. Uh, one of the things his lawyer told me one time, uh, I always go and speak at Ball State. I try to do it when they award the scholarship. I used to go for the awarding of it every year. And incidentally, Ball State's done a rotten job of putting a spotlight on that scholarship. I mean, you can't even find out who won the darn thing it's not on their website you have to go up into the telecommunications department into like a side conference room where the plaque is with all the winners on it it's it's really bizarre because Mm -hmm. there's a whole letterman center for media and communications there now it's like a 21 million dollar building and there's no evidence that he's been giving a scholarship since 1986. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, a, a full ride scholarship. So you know, uh, it's it's a little weird, but when I go back and speak, uh, I'll and anytime I have any inter- interaction at all, like the character that I did that you know, that I created to win the scholarship, uh, Letterman owns that character. You know, you sign your rights away when you enter the scholarship to those works. And I one time got approached to do a Christmas special on a Indianapolis television station with that character. I had to ask the attorney and he was like, yeah, I don't think Dave's going to mind if you use that, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, you know, he goes, I don't even think I need to ask. Uh, he goes, in fact, we don't need to sign any papers or anything. you go right ahead. So, um, you know, but his attorney told me one time. He said uh, he was going to give some things away, some some t-shirts and some frisbees and some sponges and collapsible drinking cups. You know the usual Letterman stuff. And he said, um, "Why don't you come with me? You can carry this stuff. You're a big guy." Because his attorney is a is a short guy, but a really imposing dude, uh, Ron Elberg. And so. I go out to his trunk of his car. He opens it up. It is loaded with Letterman merch. I mean, just to the gills. And he goes, you know why I like you, Tom? I said, why? He goes, because you never ask me for anything. He said, all these other kids that win this thing, they are constantly asking me for things, and you never, ever ask me for anything. So fast forward four or five years later, I'm starting to feel like the, you know, the the World War II veteran they bring out in a wheelchair <laughs> at the Fourth of July parade because every year they're starting to go and there's our first winner back there eating the soft white food. Tom, take us to stand up for you, would you please? Um, even though I've spoken to all these kids all day, and I know when I first started doing it, nobody minded me using profanity in my speeches, and I know now. They really do. So times have changed. So I'm sitting back there one year with my date, and back comes Ron Elberg, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm in trouble. Because this guys he's super nice. He's super personable, but he's also a little scary. And uh, he comes up and says, Dave's mom has requested that you come sit at the front table with her. Ah. And so I went up there, and it was kind of interesting because Ron Elberg was sort of conducting the conversation. I didn't want to bug her. I was still on my, hey, don't ingratiate, don't overdo it. And he's like, so Tom, tell her, you know, Dorothy how many Addies you want or Dottie or whatever you call her. And, and so he's getting the conversation going, and then we had a nice conversation. And uh, I think it was for two or three years after that, that I got to sit there with her and Heinz, the guy that she was there with. And uh, so little things like that kind of over the years, it's been a good thing. I get asked every now and then, I would get asked by Ron Elberg, hey, can you put some stuff together that you've done? And I would always put it in an Atlas supermarket grocery bag because that's where Dave (laughs) was a a bag boy in Indianapolis. And I I would take it on over to him or send it to him. And uh, so I've kind of kept a real, you know, at arm's length kind of a thing going there because I, I'm very respectful of that privacy. I think one year from from Mrs. Letterman's birthday, uh, Dave's mom, Mrs. Letterman, uh, we were all all the scholarship winners and were asked to write a little essay about having won the scholarship and they put it in a book. And sent it to her or something of that nature. I forget exactly why we were asked to do it. But, um, yeah, I've always tried to keep a little bit even. And then the other thing is I can't stand New York City. Um, Mm. Nice place to visit, but I don't even like to visit it that much. When I lived just 45 minutes away in Connecticut, I never went there. I, I I got ripped off by a guy. I think five minutes into being in New York the first time I went to Letterman. Well,
1: that I, might be I, your I, fault, not uh, his.
0: <laughs> well, no, I understand that, but it just made me like, oh, man, I can't believe I just got t- a guy just ripped me off for 20 bucks. Uh, it was a cab driver. You know, I was like, I, I need to go to uh, 30 Rock. And he's like, Okay, give me twenty bucks, and I had a date with me, and 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 I hand him the twenty bucks, and he just turns around, he drives like a block forward, and goes, "Get out of my cab." I uh, I just gave you twenty dollars, and he goes, "No, you didn't." I went, "Yeah, I did." She was sitting here. Well, he just gave you twenty bucks, and we were running really close to the start of the show that we had to be there. You know, I had my tape and hold tickets with me, so I knew I'd get escorted right in, but we were really cutting it close, and so. I didn't have time to call a cop or argue with him instead of get out of the car and hail another cab. It was awful.
1: Yeah. But I look at it a different way. For $20, dollars you got a story. You you got a New York City story on the way to see a taping of Late Night. That sounds I, like a
0: pretty good thing to me. I'd rather have the 20 bucks. I mean, because I got the story. I went to Letterman, you know.
1: Uh, yeah, but you were hoodwinked by a cab driver. I sure was. On I sure the way. Was.
0: Yeah, on Letterman that. sent me a telegram when I won the scholarship. And I sent him one back. And it's in some books about him and stuff like that. But I've never really... You know, I, I want to keep that the way it is, you know.
1: No, uh, I, I'm the same way everyone would always say to me, are you going to interview Dave? And I didn't try. I never asked anyone um, to interview Dave because I knew he wouldn't want to be. It's the first thing. He, he's not going to want to spend his time with me. And this book was really more about the people who helped him you know more so than than what he did of course i would have i would have interviewed him yeah <laughs> but yeah. i would be there's something about meeting your heroes and and dave is is definitely a big influence on my interviewing skills and comedy and and things so it would have been something but i agree with you i don't ask for things either like i would love to have a letterman jacket and when I would interview a lot of these people, they'd be like, "Ah, oh, I've got so many Letterman jackets lying around my house. I don't know what to do with them. And like, well, some authors get cold, too, and like to have jackets. <laughs> um, that's what I hear sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, I, didn't, a- I never said it. I didn't ask. Yeah. Um, so I know what you mean. You've got to be respectful and, and keep that distance.
0: I, I just, well, for instance, here's a quick story. The very first time I met Dave's mom, I, she had already, I don't know, I excused myself because I had to, you know, perform a biological errand. And uh, as I'm coming out of the bathroom, this was at the student center at Ball State, the woman whose son had won the scholarship that I had met you know, this was after the award had been given out and everything else, Uh, is haranguing her down the hallway into the ladies' room. And she just won't stop. Well, if you could tell Dave this, and if you could tell Dave that, blah, 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 blah. And I actually, Mrs. Letterman was turning the corner into the thing. This lady's right on her heels, and I went, hey, 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 hey. Maybe you'd like her. To just be able to use the bathroom <laughs> and yeah. I stopped her I said hey come don't do that that that's not and I have always thought to myself I do not want to be that woman I don't that's not me and Dave's mom thanked me later she sat down at the table and went thank you I'm like yeah I get it I get it I mean you don't you you don't you don't really want that what's your take on Dave's beard
1: well I love it I think it makes total sense to me. I don't really understand why people freak out about it. I think that it's his way of distancing himself from the person he was all those years. I really think that's what it is. I mean, he, he wants there to be the before the beard and after the beard Letterman. Because I think he's very different on the Netflix show. And I think he's doing the show that as a fan, I wanted him to do for a very long time. I thought for a while they should cut the comedy aspects and he should just interview because that's what he is best at. Are you enjoying the Netflix show?
0: I love the Netflix show. I think I enjoy it the most because it's a long form interview. It's not like, you know, flash in the pan, seven minutes on we go to the next thing. He can actually consider a topic, and so can his guests. They can answer. You know, it's it's nice to see him get that Barbara Walters opportunity where he gets to just take as long as he wants and, and talk to somebody. I was um, shocked by the beard, but when I heard his explanation, because he said, I told myself, after 33 years of having to shave each and every single day, that when I was done with this, I wasn't going to do it anymore. And then it made perfect sense to me. I'm not crazy about the bearding trend in the country, but his explanation, I was totally fine with it after that. Not that he needs me to approve his beard. No, I think he does. I
1: think he was waiting for your approval. I think this is going to be big to him, because I'm sure he listens to this show.
0: No, he doesn't. No, he does I not know does. this show exists <laughs> unless somebody told him. Although I, I do get his attorney whenever you know I least expect it. I'll get a note that says, "What are you up to these days?" And I'm expected to write him a note telling him exactly because a lot of the scholarship winners have not gone into communications at all.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, like some of them manage banks now. It's because it's not an easy business to get in or stay in. And so some of them never went in. They never got a job, you know, in any form of communications whatsoever. Uh, so, yeah, uh, he may be, you know, have been told, but I'm sure he's not aware. That's, that's yeah, believe me, I never thought I was on his radar at all.
1: Well, so as a communications major, what do you think – of the whole podcasting trend and anyone with a mic can get a podcast and, and start, start talking.
0: Well, i was so old that when I went to back in my day, uh, the program I actually went into was called radio, television, and motion pictures. I was happy that it wasn't radio, television, and talkies. Um, (laughs) the, uh, the podcasting trend, I think, is great. I think there's a proliferation, but that's that's. I, mean, I think there's too many of them. But I'm not the person that's going to say, these here should go and these should stay. I think it's fine that there's a million of them. Then people have to market themselves. I love the idea that people are now able to own their audience. And unfortunately... Terrestrial radio has gotten so bad and so syndicated and so unlistenable that I think podcasts are really, really wonderful. A really good podcast is a thing of beauty. It's, uh, for instance, the discussion that we're having, you couldn't do it on terrestrial radio. Right. And people all the time say, you know, I'll do a 20-minute interview with you. And I'm like, well... Not interested. I I have to do the things that terrestrial radio can't do. So you're a nice guy, so you didn't use a bunch of profanity during the interview. I generally don't. But if my guests do, I don't care because that's something terrestrial radio can't do. And I love podcasts and I love podcasting. I think, and again, it's the big thing is, you own your audience, you can develop your own audience. You know, you're not bound by ratings. If you get an audience of 50,000 people that listen to your podcast, you're in business, you know, and then you can just grow it from there. So I'm, I'm, I'm really behind it personally. What do you think about
1: it? Well, I, I have five, so I must like it. (laughs) But my main one is uh, the red room podcast. Red Room from Twin Peaks, We, me and my brother-in-law, Josh Minton, we started nine years ago, really kind of before podcasting had exploded in that way. I didn't even know what a podcast was. And we cover television So, and Twin Peaks, which is mostly what we uh, talk about, like we just counted down the top TV themed shows of all time, and yes, Late Night with David Letterman was on my list. So, um, I mean, I think it's, I think they're great. I really enjoy them and I like the freedom of them and you're right, the length and that you can do whatever you want and say what you want and either someone's going to listen or they're not. You're, you know what I mean? You're, you're going to know real quick if it's working or not.
0: Well, in shows like yours, these programs, I admire people that pick a, stup- a topic and that topic has an audience I kind of try to do that from show to show which isn't as effective (laughs) my show is to completely schizophrenic it's interesting people saying interesting things if I think something's interesting then I talk about it but I there's so many TV shows that I would love to do a podcast on and I know that's real successful it's amazing to me that even in this day people will ask me what a podcast is,
1: right? Yeah. They'll
0: say, what's a podcast. Okay. It's a broadcast only it's on an iPod. It's, you can listen to it whenever you want. It's like the recording, you know, when you get on your on demand on your TV with the clicker, um, then you can listen to it Whenever you feel like it and they don't get that. And now that I've been for the last two months doing a Facebook live show for an hour every day, people are super confused, especially people older than me in my own family. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Well, they're supposed to be. Yeah, they're really confounded. I saw your thing you do there on the Facebook and it didn't have what you said you were gonna be talking. Mom, that's the podcast. The thing I do is just, that's, I'm not even sure what it is yet, okay? I'm just doing it. But they they don't get that. So you have five podcasts?
1: Well, I, I don't know, let me see. Uh, they're not all successful. The Red Room is the one we've been doing the longest, and there's 150 episodes that we've done, and. And that's sort of the main one. But then I had a 30-something podcast, which awesome. was about the TV show 30-something. And then I ended up writing a book about 30-something. That was my first real book that got published out. Um, I have one called Scott Luck Stories. And that one is just me telling 10-minute funny stories from my life. Okay. And that one has never caught on. I mean, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, like you know, that might get like 49 downloads or something so the world has spoken they are truly not interested <laughs> in seven to ten minute little funny stories and then a buffy podcast uh-huh. called uh big bad buffy interviews but that sort of died down we were trying to do an oral history of buffy the vampire slayer and then someone else did it while we were <laughs> and yeah. the book came out and so that one sort of died. And then, I don't know, I think I'm allowed to tell this. You might be getting a scoop or I don't know. But my fifth one is actually going to be a Letterman podcast. Um, it's in the development uh, stage and it's, it's going to be pretty big. It, it has a wide, um, it's, it's got some good backers and it's, it's, it's going to be the real deal. Uh, I think it's going to be announced sometime in the fall. So, oh, that'll uh, be
0: awesome! I'll be listening.
1: Yeah, I mean that one. I'm really it, it came about through the book, and and uh, I've got some great people involved, and we're still planning it out. So,
0: I think I it's going to be called the
1: Art of Letterman. Is the working oh, title? Uh, there,
0: there's a. There's this line you can draw from like the Jack Benny show through Carson to Letterman and then to the Craig Ferguson show. And then on there's this stream of of people that are connected to each other that are like big time show business and broadcasting people. And I try to explain to people sometimes that Letterman or Carson, those people do things the right way. They, they're they so top of their game. You know, hey, this is the way we do this particular thing, and and they've got a, a pre-thought strategy behind everything. I don't know if he's... I know that she's not or wasn't his personal assistant after a while, but the woman I dealt with directly with the show was a woman named Lori Diamond. I don't know. Are you, f- are you familiar with her? Yeah, she was his personal assistant in the early days, and I think she may have retired at a certain point, but you might ask someone about Lori Diamond. She was, okay. she was personable to a point, point. Uh, and then after that it was no nonsense, and she was just very explicit. She was a lot like his attorney. You know, it's like <laughs> these are personable people. They have people skills, very, very good ones. But they don't really want to spend them all in one place, if you know what I mean.
1: Right. Well, you know, when you were talking about Carson, um, the thing that was crazy to me is I got to interview two of Carson's writers. And because he went, they went on to write for Dave, and that was Mike Barry and... Jim Mulholland. So they were the guys
0: that wrote from LA. Yes. Yeah.
1: And they you know, they're just telling me Carson stories on the phone. And that was so amazing to me to think that they they started writing for Carson, they said, in the spring of nineteen seventy. And I was born in the spring of nineteen (laughs) seventy. I'm thinking This is crazy that they've been writing comedy as long as I've been alive, and so they, they were really fascinating and much more interested, probably, in talking about Carson than Dave. So they're they're not in the book a ton, but there is a chapter on Johnny and there's a chapter on the monologue. So they're sort of in in those two chapters. But when you talk about a line, I mean, there you go. That's a direct. That's a direct line between that and well, and uh,
0: La, Lasalle. Yeah,
1: and, Peter Lasalle. Huh? Uh,
0: you know, if you go back to Carson, uh, De Cordova was a director on the Jack Benny show, and so you know, there's this, there's this kind of Jack Benny was johnny carson's idol and he had some of his people doing his show and johnny carson was letterman's idol and he had some of his people doing his show and i don't know where all the letterman people are i imagine one or two of them has ended up at kimmel or conan or somewhere
1: right yeah and and it does i think it's a small world in that way are you a larry sanders fan oh yes definitely Uh, There's a documentary right now on HBO about Gary Shandling called The Zen of Gary Shandling or something close to that by uh, Judd Apatow. He uh, made that documentary, and there's a lot of Letterman stuff in that, but also connecting to The Tonight Show and how it goes back to the comedy store and, and those tentacles of comedy really sprout all from Carson, I think, even to this day. Even if people don't remember who he is, his effect is is out there.
0: Well, and on the show that was called It's Gary Shandling Show, I don't know if you remember that program or not. It was on Fox. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did an entire episode, even before he did the Larry Sanders character, in the old school Johnny Carson sort of you know 60s and 70s talk show an entire front to back yeah, episode like that
1: Yeah, I remember it. I mean, I, I I was almost too young to really get the it's Gary Shandling show. I would love to rewatch it. I wish it was streaming. I think it would be a sh- I think it's a show that should be like let's put that on Netflix and instead of Full House or something Uh, because I would love to watch it now. I have a feeling that you would see even more connections to, to what comedy now.
0: Yeah, it was genius. It was really played with the medium and his set was his home, but he knew it was a set and people would come on the show that were his friends, but they were also, he knew they were acting on the, it was, it was crazy. It was awesome. Um, but anyway, well, the book is The Last Days of Letterman, and you say you can get it where?
1: If you go out to lastdaysofletterman.com, we're taking pre-orders now, and we need the pre-orders now because we're working on convincing Companies that this should be in bookstores everywhere. Uh, this is from a new publishing company, and we are trying to get off the ground. And of course, they're looking at us like, "What? If you're not a corporation, we don't deal with you." But I think this is a title that should be everywhere. So we're trying to to give them data that people are interested in in Letterman. So if you go to lastdaysofletterman.com, dot com, you can pre order it. I'm going to sign all the copies that are ordered from the website. So come out and support us and we'll be thankful.
0: And lastdaysofletterman.com. The link to that straight to the ordering page will be as always in the posting about this show on my website, the Tom Gully And I doubtless have mentioned it in the intro before the interview. So there we go. There's a little, time machine trick for you (laughs) well um i hope you have huge success with this book and uh you know thank you for putting it together it to me was a fascinating look in the behind the scenes workings of the longest and hosted by my favorite i can't help it uh talk show host and really tv personality of all time and uh thanks again for being here
1: No, thank you. And the next time you're at Ball State, shoot me an email. I'm from Columbus, Ohio, the home of Jack Hanna. And I would love to come over and hear one of your speeches. I've never been to Ball State. Look around. We'll spend the day making sure nobody uh, chases people into bathrooms.
0: That would be great. And um, I can maybe... Help salve over some of the deep hatred that I have from the city of Columbus due to my (laughs) mockery of the Columbus crew leaving town. So,
1: well, I did um, see you had some tweets about that. I will tell you that I could care less about sports. So I don't I didn't even know the Columbus crew was leaving or not leaving until I saw you tweet about it. So that I shows wrote a you. Whole how much article.
0: <laughs> I wrote a whole article that went viral on Reddit and people from Columbus probably are hanging me in effigy right now. And I I don't care. I actually lived there for a I had a project, a long project I had to do um, in Columbus. What's the place I lived in? West Oh, I want to say it was it's one of the World? suburbs.
1: Was it Westworld? Cuz that was No. That was no, in the no, computer. No. It was uh it was West a company Chester? West Jeffries?
0: I don't know. It was a company I mean, called it was an interesting thing. It was a medical advertising agency called Gerbig Snell Weisenheimer or something like that. I don't think Gerbig
1: Snell Weisenheimer was ever interesting. I don't know anything about them, but I'm just going to go by the name. Well, the only
0: interesting (laughs) thing about them was that they were a medically dedicated place. But here is the interesting thing about them. I was fascinated by the fact that I was at this medical-intensive ad agency that had the same initials as... uh, GSO is the medical shorthand for gunshot wound when when they come into an ER. You know, it's like we've got a 34-year-old male with a GSO.
1: I mean, GSW.
0: GSW, sorry, excuse me. GSW stands for gunshot wound. And so it was always people at the agency would be going, you know, well, we'll get some GSW letterhead in here. And I'm like, do you really... Do you know what that means? Did you think about that? Could you maybe not have jumbled the letters around? Because to people like my mom, who's been a nurse for 40 years, when I told her I was going to work at GSW, she was quite alarmed. (laughs) She's like, you don't want to do that.
1: I've never heard of it. That and the crew are unbeknownst to me in Columbus, (laughs) Ohio. Unfortunately, I may not be the greatest Buckeye ever, but, you know. I do love
0: Leatherman. You're not missing anything. Anyway, thanks a lot for being on the show. And, yes, we will catch up sometime.
1: All right. Thanks so much.
0: You're listening to The Tom Gully Show.
1: You'll find our snack bar chock full of good things to eat and drink. Tasty, tempting hot dogs, thirst-quenching soft drinks, fresh, crunchy popcorn. You've plenty of time, so visit the snack bar now
0: just send an email to tom at thetomgullyshow.com. I'd like to thank Scott Ryan for being on the show. You can get the Last Days of Letterman by going to lastdaysofletterman.com, and there it is for pre-order right this minute. He'll even sign those pre-ordered books for you. So go get it now. It's chock full of great stuff. We highly recommend it. And oh by the way, you can go to the thetomgullyshow.com and you can look at the posting for this particular episode. And that way, it'll have the link right there. You just click it, and you'll go straight to uh, Scott's page. So there you are. Folks, we'd really appreciate it if you'd share this on your various Facebook pages. Trying to spread the word means trying to spread our little show here. We'd appreciate it if you'd like the Tom Gully Show. Not me, not me, not me, but the show. You go to the show page. <laughs> On Facebook as well. You can't also like one of my postings, okay? You gotta go to the page. If the mood strikes you. And of course, there's always thetomgullyshow.com. That's where you can find everything about the show including our store which is back up if you're on a desktop or a laptop you go to the top it says store click that baby there's mugs there's shirts there's t-shirts there's sweatshirts there's hoodies there's hoodies with zippers in the front there's mugs there's glasses there's shot glasses there's messenger bags there's clocks the clocks people love the clocks so get that stuff, too. You can follow us on Twitter at Atomic Palooka. And I'll explain that someday on the show. Or you can email. If, if you email me or Facebook message me, would probably be smarter. What's Atomic Palooka mean? I will email you or Facebook message you back. And, you know, it's Tom at the TomGullyShow.com if you want to email me. But uh, I'll, I'll tell you what Atomic Palooka is all about. Then you'll know you be happy, won't you? That's going to do it for tonight. I'm out of here. i got to go talk to some people. I'll talk to you much later. You know, each night, Jay Johnson, he brings us in with the truth wagon. Go to JayJohnsonMusic.com to take in all the great music that was left to us by the late, great Jay Johnson. And each night, we take you out with Russell Alexander and the Hitman Blues Band you go to hitmanbluesband.com, it's all the stuff about the band. But if you go to hitmanbluesband.net and you sign up for their mailing list, very inobtrusive mailing list, okay? Very, they don't bother you. Maybe six of them a year. You're going to get a bunch of free blues songs by the best practicing blues band in the land. And that's Russell Alexander and the Hitman Blues Band. By the way, shout out to his wife, Joanne Alexander, the talented photographer S who uh, happened into one of our shows this week. Uh, Thank you so much to her. And uh, anyway, do everything Hitman Blues Band. That's how we roll. And we will see you next time.
1: Well, the bug can't lift a twig For a dog that's nothing big But he don't want to And the dog can't grab a cat Or a coon can do all that but he don't want to And I dream of you at night While you hold your baby tight But he don't want you You can see it in his eyes From the way he tells you lies but he don't want you He stays at work too long And you beg him to come home But he don't want to Girl, I'd be so good for you. I know you could love me too, but you don't want to.